This morning, I'm going to read a portion of scripture out of the Message Bible. If I were to read this out of the King James, every one of you would recognize it immediately. But I feel like it's kind of hard to grasp the full meaning of it in that version. So today I'm going to read out of the message, as I said, Romans chapter 8, because I think it speaks loudly and clearly to us. And that's what I want the Lord to do this morning, to speak loudly and clearly through his word. Last March, I brought a message about the benefits of waiting on the Lord. And there are many, as we all know. But today I want to look at what can we do while we are waiting for answers from the Lord. Completely different look and approach. When we're waiting upon the Lord in service and in ministering to him, we reap tremendous blessing in that. But there's times that we're just plain waiting, <laughs> waiting for something to happen, something to change. And what can we do during that time? All of us, has a, all of us have experienced having to wait for our answers to prayer, and I'm sure we could universally agree we don't like it. It isn't fun. It's hard. It's tedious. It's depressing. It's all of these things. So what can we do while we're in that situation? Sometimes I think we're waiting to see our own growth in spiritual development. I've prayed for deeper faith in God more effectual prayer life, new heights of worship, and even the rapture of the church, which I believe with my whole heart is the very next event on God's calendar of events. Or maybe we're waiting for something a little more tangible, earthly, if you will, financial security, restored relationships, promotion on a job, or as has been mentioned recently, and as I'm praying and waiting right now for God's restoration of righteousness in our government. Sometimes God gives a direct promise for something that will come to us, but we must wait for it. Abraham and Sarah waited into old age for the promised seed of Isaac. Moses waited 40 years to lead the children of Israel to the promised land. David waited 15 years to assume the throne of Israel after he was anointed king. But there are many, many others, maybe even the majority of God's servants who, for instance, like Joseph, waited in dire circumstances without a direct promise of deliverance and blessing from God. He endured prison, slavery, bondage, with no promise or even reason to believe that things would change for him. Or Job, who suffered incredible losses of all kinds, 
without the benefit of a direct promise of God that he would change things. I'm sure we can all agree that it's a whole lot easier to wait when we've had a direct promise from God. In that case, it's up to us. We keep our faith level high. We keep our eyes focused on the promise to receive. But we ultimately know this. We know God always keeps his word. So we have that to look to, to hope for, and to stand upon. But when there is no promise, and the waiting is long, what can we do then? And I'm going to tell you right now, these are not pat answers. They're not rocket science answers either. But they're from my own personal experience. And I know that they help. They work. And I'm sorry if this gets a little uh, emotional. You all know me. I appreciate your grace and your love for that. But the first thing we can do is so obvious. Talk to God. We can pray. We can plead with him. We can thank him. We can cry to him, ugly cry to him. Just communicate our heart. I know that spending more time in prayer and in the scripture will certainly result in the greatest possible outcome of the situation, but it results in something else. Prayer changes our heart. Excuse me one second. <coughs> I felt that cough coming on. <clears throat> Prayer changes our heart. When we bow before God, something miraculous happens. He causes submission to well up in our heart. Think about that. Submission rises to the top and our stubborn will gets pushed down. I told you that this was from personal experience. I have often come to the Lord with the very best of intentions to spend a good long time before him. And I even write down a list of things to bring to him that I won't forget it or I'll, I'll stay on track. And I get two words out and then all I can do is cry. Because it seems like I've prayed these prayers over and over and over, waiting for an answer. And so sometimes all I can do is say, Lord, you already know. I've already told you a thousand times. You've heard me cry over this a million times. So help me to move on and be submissive. So what I've learned is that no matter how ineffective my prayers are, I can still say, 
But nevertheless, Lord, your will be done and my will be suppressed. And that is the truth. There is that thing of submission of heart that prayer causes to happen in us. Even when it seems that all we're doing is bombarding heaven endlessly over and over with a screaming heart, he will turn it into submission. Last week, I had to go to my least favorite shopping place, Safeway. I will do just about anything not to have to go to that store. I don't know what it is. I walk in the door and something wells up and says, I hate this place. I just hate this place. I want to get out of this place. I, I'm sorry, but it's true. <laughs> so I was in the produce section. And by the way, the shelves were very bare com compared to what they normally are. And I watched this little girl about three or four years old, and she was literally screaming at the top of her lungs to her mother. I am not exaggerating. Screeching at her mother, who was completely ignoring her. This was like a scene out of a horror movie or something. And believe me, I did not get that gene that ignores the child. I got the gene that picks them up, spanks their bottom, and gives them something to cry for. Yeah. Sorry, but yeah. I never had to do that to Don. Everybody nearby was staring at this little girl. And it went on for probably four or five minutes. And it so horrified me, I couldn't find the cabbage. And I had to go ask the produce guy, where'd you put the cabbage? When the mother finally turned and looked at the little girl, believe me, I'm talking about prayer and submission and things like this, what we can do when we have to wait. So when the mother finally turned and looked at the little girl, she simply said, not now. And the little girl's response was, to literally hurl herself backwards onto the floor and proceed to throw an all-out temper tantrum. I couldn't believe it. And the mother turned and walked away and left this screaming, kicking, flailing thing laying in the floor. I had to leave the area to go do a little bit more shopping, and I heard this child screaming all over the store. I told you this because sometimes I'm afraid that I might look like that little girl to the Lord when I come before him. God, why are you ignoring me? Why aren't you listening to me? What must I do to get your attention on this situation? And all the time, he's just saying, not now, wait. The second thing 
that I've learned is to don't strive, but to trust God's character. How many would agree that timing is so important? In music, it is critical. When Jim and I first got married, we were in the church in Alameda, and there was the, the pastors that he uh, replaced came for a visit to, to meet me. <laughs> they, they adored Jim, and he adored them. And the pastor's wife was quite up in age, and someone in the congregation asked her to go to the piano and bless her heart. She tried the best she could, but her fingers were very gnarled, and her hearing wasn't very good anymore, and she couldn't keep time to the music. I'm very thankful that God has given Donnie a good sense of timing. He helps keep me on track, and Audrey has an amazing sense of timing. She just knows what to do and where to come in and when to move on and stop and all those things that are so important. I appreciate that, and I praise the Lord for it. But in this life, we have to submit ourselves to God's timing. Because timing is everything with the Lord. And if you don't know that or don't believe that, how many times have we read in Scripture, when the fullness of time has come, this or that will happen? So to the point that in Ecclesiastes 3.11, we read that God made a time for everything and everything will happen in its time. So during this time when I'm struggling and waiting and striving and trying to make things happen and work, perhaps he's just drawing me a little closer saying, come get in this place beside me and wait and trust my goodness. Be still. Stop fighting and striving and know and rest in that I am God. Psalm 46.10. The Lord has recently spoken this to us many times, probably five times over the last six or eight months. We must learn it. The third thing that I know that we can do, that I can do, I can do what I can with what I have, where I am now. This is hard for me to tell you. Sort of like um, burying my soul. <laughs> as far back as I can remember, I've always had high expectations. If I wasn't happy with something, with the look of it or the condition of it, I would change it. I would sew it better, or I would redo a piece of furniture so it looked better. 
I even learned to cook very frugally so we could have more food in the house. High expectations, not only of myself, the things around me, but also of others. My kids are high performers. Just, Michael, I appreciated your humor this morning. I thought that was hilarious. If you didn't catch that, I'm sorry, but it was a good one. That was a good zinger. My employees were superstars, literally superstars. They made me look so good. And it wasn't me, it was them. But I've learned something, that perfection is not necessary to accomplish something good. I can do something with whatever I have. I can dedicate it to the Lord. I can purpose it to him. And he can turn it into something miraculous. After Jim passed away, he, he left so much stuff. And I've talked to you about this a time or two before probably, but the amount of clothing that he left was probably three times what any normal man would wear. He loved clothes. He loved dress clothes. Dress shirts, shoes, coats, uh, suits, a million ties, and he loved to wear ties. Sometimes on Sundays, we would go home, and this is the truth. He'd sit down in his chair in his suit and his tie and his dress shirt and never change his clothes for the whole day. I couldn't believe it, but he did. He just enjoyed it. At that time... Jan said, there's a couple of pastors in Chowchilla who are about his size and they don't have anything. They would be thrilled to have these clothes. They were struggling financially. So I bagged them all up and they took them to these pastors. Well, as you know, last week, I went to Chowchilla to meet up with Jan and Matt, and Matt so graciously drove us then to Terry's for our Christmas uh, get-together with her and Bob. And we pulled into a gas station before we got on the road in Chowchilla. And in front of us was this church. And next to the church was a rundown, very dilapidated, very uh, non-kept uh, house with a roof that was in incredibly bad situation, bad condition. And I was noting this in my mind from the back seat. And just about that time, a man walked out of the front door carrying his garbage. And Jan said, Debbie, that's one of the pastors who took Jim's clothes. And he was so happy to get them. And their church is trying to raise money to replace their roof because it's so bad. 
It blessed me so much to know that the Lord took a little effort and he turned it in something so good for other people that blessed them. And then I said, Lord, heal that roof, because I'm telling you, I, I doubt the roof is even left on the building. It was that bad after these storms that have come through so bad. Pray for that church and that pastor to get a new roof. I'm serious. In a million years, I could never have foreseen the circumstances that we went through as a family three years ago. And I doubt you could have foreseen yours either. But I'm telling you, God did. He wasn't surprised. He wasn't even disappointed. And he certainly did not need a plan B. I mentioned that Joseph didn't have a direct promise from God. He was not in Egypt by choice. And he had no evidence that God was working something to his benefit, to his advantage. He was just trying to get through today and tomorrow and the next day. Yet, because he used what he had, where he was, <laughs> he got a promotion to head jailer. Even things that happened to us that on the surface may seem good, God didn't get him out of the prison immediately, but he used him in the prison. And he benefited him in ways that Joseph didn't even know because the right people were watching and saw his demonstration of leadership and his demonstration of skills that could be used in the government. And while he was waiting, God used this situation, used him to save an entire nation, including his own family, who was the reason he was in prison in the first place, from starvation during the worst famine. God will cause good things to come from our waiting. And you've been waiting now a little while for me to read my text, and I'm going to. If you would turn to Romans 8, 18. Paul writes, and that's why the that is referring to our incredible inheritance as sons of Christ. So that's why I don't think there's any comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times. He goes on, the created world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. Everything in creation is being more or less held back. God reigns it in until both the creation 
and the creatures are ready and can be released at the same moment into the glorious times ahead. An example of God's perfect timing. And meanwhile, the joyful anticipation deepens. All around us, we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs. But it's not only around us, it's within us. We also feel birth pangs. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. That is why, that is why the waiting does not diminish us any more than the waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what's enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the larger we become, and the more joyful our expectancy. Did you hear that? We may have to wait. We may feel like we're going to explode, but in the waiting, the joy will come, and it will be so much better than we even thought. Verse 26. I'm pausing here to say it isn't always sunshine and roses for expectant mothers either, is it, ladies? No. There are swollen feet and aching backs and upset stomachs to contend with. And so it is while we're waiting on the Lord. But let's read on. Verse 26. So meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting... God's Spirit comes right alongside, helping us along. And if we don't know how to pray or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in us and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs, our aching groans. And I would insert there our screaming temper tantrums. He knows us far better than we know ourselves. And he knows our pregnant condition. And he keeps us present before God. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something Good. What a message. What an assurance. What a blessing. So beautiful. God is in the redemption business. It was awful that Jesus had to hang on a cross, beaten and bloody and dying in agony. But God used that most heinous evil deed to accomplish the greatest good that the world has ever known. Even when Jesus was at his lowest point, he was in the very heart 
of God's redemption plan. If you feel like you've been waiting so long and God has forgotten you, excuse me, take heart. Knowing that you are right in the palm of his hands. And that we may not see it, but he knows our condition and he will redeem our circumstance. I believe that. But I also know that in the waiting, he's making us like Christ. He's making us like his son. And this is why Paul could say, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is revealed in us. Would you stand? Father God, I'm so thankful that you didn't leave us alone to try to figure it all out by ourselves. But you gave us the Holy Spirit to walk alongside. And you can pick up a screaming little girl off the floor and you can say, just wait. And we know your character, Lord. We've seen it over and over many times. Oh God, help us to wait patiently. Help us to wait in prayer submissively. Help us, oh God, not to fight and struggle, but to use what we have where we are to bless others. And in doing so, Lord, we know that you will work miracles in us and around us. Father, I thank you for your presence in this place this morning. I thank you for the saturation of the Holy Spirit upon us. Oh, how we need it, Lord. How we look for it, Lord. We crave it in our souls. And you've never disappointed us, Lord. I pray, Lord, that this word would be a blessing and be an uplift to a heart, oh God, that is hearing this word and may feel like they've been waiting and waiting for nothing. For we will reap in due season if we faint not. God, I ask you to go with each one. Lord, I ask for protection from these storms. How we thank you for the water and the snowpack, Lord. Oh, we thank you for it. And God, I just ask for your divine hand of protection over everyone every car, every home, every animal even, Lord, that we dedicate them to you, Lord Jesus, and we ask your hand of protection in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen.
Johnson Sanctuary, and this man was praying in Argentina, and he was praying for people in Spanish, and my coworker was interpreting, and then they just started getting slain in the spirit on the cement, like just falling down, uh, all the way around the perimeter of the outside of the sanctuary, and um, but I didn't have time to take care of myself, I didn't have time to like, you know, be involved in that, and then I was I was walking through Dick Bernal's office, which is, we have a pathway through, and they had come into that office to like recoup, regroup, and like sort of just get alone with the Lord for a minute. And so I just was in the right place at the right time, and they said, um, do you want prayer? And I said, uh, sure. So I started like looking at my hands like, Lord, I, I love you, I need you, and all, all this stuff, and just started sort of like working and working, and he said, no work. And he shoved my hand down and said, no work. And I was shocked because I thought, well, I need to strive and earn what God's going to commit me because that's, you know, you earn your paycheck, you earn your love. I don't know, it just felt like it's the thing we do, right? And then um, he just said no work. And, and so I was kind of puzzled. But I did like what Debbie was saying. And I just surrendered and let God give to me. And he gave to me. That headache went away. Um, I didn't get slain in the spirit, but the presence of God touched the back of my leg um, in like a tangible way. I don't know how to describe that. And my kind of knee kind of buckled for a minute. And that whole, my whole body, the entire, like every fiber was completely relaxed. My coworker said afterwards, she said, you look like you're on drugs because you have, you have no tension in your head. <laughs> Anyone else? Then you may be dismissed. Thank you.